Christians praying for lions? (laughs) All right. I can see our ancestors in the faith. We prayed against the lions. (laughs) All right, all right, enough. Hey, I have to thank you. Um, We were still glowing from the Christmas Eve service. Beth and I came and we had Christmas Eve with you. And when I was serving at Holland Heights Church, I didn't get to come to your Christmas Eve services because I had Christmas and different things, responsibilities. And we had a number of families from Holland Heights would come to Christ Memorial and, and share in your Christmas Eve service. Your blessing to this community is huge. Um, we came at the four o'clock service, it was packed. Um, and I, I don't know what the six o'clock or the other one was, but it, it had to be more than just you all and your families. You just have to realize what God is doing through you. Well, we're still going from that, <clears throat> and then we were, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> pardon me, we were here last Sunday, and my breath was taken away. It was absolutely amazing. And I have to admit to you, when it came to the part when I think the song is when I walk in the garden, you know, he walks with me, he talks with me, I was hoping the thing would stop. Let's not go to the snake. Can we just stop here? And then I thought, and this is a very bold thing to think, but I thought, do you think God was thinking that too? Can we just stop before we get to the snake? Can we just stop here? And as your worship continued, that lighted cross spoke to me in a very profound way. That got me through the next part of the worship service. So I would invite you, when you come in here and every Sunday, and you see that cross lit, remember, remember. So thank you, thank you. I was supposed to be with you, I think Adam mentioned a couple of weeks ago, but we had a snow day. And um, the message I'm sharing with you, I had, um, I had shared with Eric uh, about a year ago. And uh, we were having lunch, and I, I said, you know, you'll never guess what I saw in the text. And I was a very, I, 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 I hold myself to what's the most amazing thing you learned about God today? What's the most amazing thing you learned about God this week, this month, or this year? And it always begins with the day, right? And then, you know, you measure your week, and this is what, and then, this is one of those year things. It was huge. Now, it was new to me. It may not be new to you, okay? But I'm, I'm really excited and honored. And Eric said, would you, would you give that to our congregational family? Um, would you come and, and kick off the Genesis study? Well, God had a different idea. And in and, and his wisdom, he put us today. And so here we are. Um, oh, did I, I, I forgot my clicker. No, I, did, yeah, okay, maybe I should take the water because I'm, thank you. This morning, oh, I'm clicking, guys. Here we go. God's, I want to talk to you a little bit about God's introduction, because that's where we are. Um, God's introduction of himself. Because I believe that the Bible is a book about God. It involves us. Let's, as you you read your text, and as you're in your immersed program in Genesis, um, let me give you three facts, Bible facts, that where I'm working from, 
okay? They're, and on one hand, they could be kind of obvious, but first of all, um, the Bible was written for us, it wasn't written to us. I'm sure you've heard that before, okay? Um, uh, we smile because Josh prayed for the lions, and, and, and we know he, we mean, he means the football team, not, not the animals. Um, you know, if, I, if I tell you that the Las Vegas Knights won the Stanley Cup, I certainly wouldn't have to tell you that they play hockey. Okay? So there's, there's some things. The Bible's written for us, but it wasn't written to us. It was written to people who were living in their context at that time. And that's why it was such a strong thing for me to be able to go into the context of Israel and how God changed in my heart, give me eyes to see. Number two, it was written for us, but not to us. Number two, the Bible is designed to answer a question. And the question it's designed to answer, it's intended to answer is not, does God exist? The original audience, if Moses is the author of Torah, I believe he is, but if Moses is the author of Torah, he is in Egypt. And in the ancient period, there wasn't a people group that had more deities and more temples. Herodotus said that they were the most religious people of his time, and that's something for a Greek to say. They had more God. The Bible isn't designed to answer the question, does God exist? The Bible is designed to answer the question, which God do you serve? And God's response to that question is to say to us, I believe, serve any God you want. Just make sure the God you're serving exists and serve that God as much as they've earned it. As much as they've earned it. And so God, later on in Exodus, will introduce himself to his people and he will earn their trust through the plagues. Do you know why I follow Jesus? Because he's earned it. He's earned it. God says, follow any God you want, make sure they exist. And follow them in as much as they've earned it. So you could say that the text is God's polemic of his existence, his nature, his character, and his plan. Number three, although the Bible comes to us in book form. It's not really a book. You've heard this before, I'm sure. It's a library. There's many books in it. I would say, yeah, it's a library. But really, really, it's not a library. The Bible is a museum. It's an art museum. And it's full of pictures. Picture, 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 picture. That's why I applaud you, Christ Memorial, for being brave enough, open enough, to allow someone to picture for you and dance the opening pages of the text. It's picture. It's picture. Quite frankly, the picture of, uh, of Abide With Me that we just heard together with that magnificent organ, I was ready to say the doxa, uh, benediction after that. Because what was pictured there is amazing. The Bible is full of pictures. So this morning what I'd like to do is I want to invite you into the art museum. I want to give you a few of the brush strokes of the text. Now, I had prepared this, and this message has been percolating for quite some time. Um, but this week, all of a sudden, I'm in my study and something else surfaces. And what surfaces was a psalm. 
And so I'm going to give you this psalm as um, the canvas on which our study this morning is going to be. It's a psalm of David. Um, and I'm not sure when David authored this one. No one really knows. Could it have been when he was a, little, a young shepherd boy and admiring the heavens? And Could it be when after, after he had the fall with Bathsheba? I'm not sure. You, you think about that. Talk about that. When do you think David wrote this psalm? And, and um, uh, it goes like this. Oh, would you please, would you mind, if you, would you stand as we share God's word with you? And uh, you can sit when I start talking again. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies, the work of his hands. Day by day they pour forth speech, but night by night they demonstrate his knowledge. There is no speech or language where his voice is not heard. For his voice goes throughout all the earth and his word to the ends of the world. In the heavens he pitched a tent for the sun who comes out, emerges from his pavilion like a bridegroom, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. He rises up at one part of the heavens and makes his circuit through and sets on the other, and nothing is hidden from his heat. Hmm. The laws of the Lord are perfect. They revive the soul. The statutes of the Lord are, are upright. They make wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord are right. They, they, did I say that one already? Sorry. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord, hmm, the fear of the Lord is pure, it endures forever. And the ordinances of the Lord, the ordinances of the Lord are sure. They are trustworthy in every way. Hmm. They are so valuable. They are more valuable than pure gold, much pure gold. They, they are sweet, sweeter than honey, honey dripping from a comb. For by them we are all warned, and by them your servant gains great reward. For how else do I know the error of my ways? Forgive, forgive my hidden faults and keep me from those intentional sins lest they rule me. And then I will be forgiven and not guilty of great transgressions. Now, say these words after me. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The very words of God. Before you sit down, before you sit down, rock doesn't move. Same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. A redeemer moves out and reaches like Boaz did for Ruth, like Jesus does for you and me. The very words of God. You may see that. I share Psalm 19 with you kind of as the canvas, and we got to get going because I was wondering what that clock, at that, what those numbers at the back were, and I said to somebody, I said, that, <clears throat> that's for the sermon. 
So, um, now Psalm 19, read it when you get home, okay? After everything we talk about this morning, read it when you get home. You're gonna see there's three movements. Always ask the text, why is that there and why do I need to know it? The first movement is gonna be, the heavens declare the glory of God, G-O-D. And then there's all this creation narrative. Then there's a shift. The law in Hebrew, the Torah of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's a shift. Now you have the psalmist David commenting on the word of God. First of all, the world of God, then the word of God, and then finally the third section is personal. The relationship of God with his image bearer. And David prays for a clean heart, prays for the forgiveness of God, so that his words and his thoughts, the meditations of his heart. I, I read a rabbi this week, and this is what triggered it for me, because the rabbi says, uh, <clears throat> in general revelation, you know, scientists are simply theologians of general revelation. And as they find out new things about general revelation, as I find out things through special revelation, his word, God speaks, God speaks, and then this rabbi said, and the psalmist is asking, can I join in? Can I join in? Oh, may the the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, because I want to join in. So let's join in. Have you got your Bibles? Open them up, grab a Bible. You're going to need your Bibles. Have a look. Um, Genesis chapter 1. I want to show you something, and... You may be thinking, yeah, that's three years at Calvin Seminary. Uh, that's all he's got. Um, or you might be saying, hey, this is kind of cool. I'm going to encourage you to be sensitive to this. I'm hoping that once I show it to you, you'll never be able to unsee it. That's what I'm hoping to do. So let's begin with Genesis 1, and we're going to skate through Genesis 1 because I really want to get to Genesis 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, Remain seated, but stand in your hearts as we share God's word. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay? Um, here's Here's where I want to start. And God said, what's your Bible say? That's an imperative. Now, when you read, and God said, uh, uh, when you see, read that God said, let there be light, um, you come across uh, God. But when he says, let there be light, that's the language of a king. That's the language of, that's the language of authority. Okay? Um, and, and, and then the text says, there's light. There's light. And that demonstrates that God is not only uses the language of the king, but that he has authority. Now, in an Egyptian context, and we don't have time to get there, but in an Egyptian context, I cannot overemphasize how important it is uh, that the author of all things has authority over all things. One of, the, one of the first points, when we stand by those pyramids, everybody wants to know how do they make them, but I want to know why did they make them? I mean, some of those stones, that, I mean, the quarries at the Gaza Plateau, the, 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 that limestone is not sufficient. So the closest quarry that those stones came from, two and a half to seven tons, was from 20 miles away, and other ones come from Aswan 500 miles away. And my part of Ontario, stones don't float. <laughs> so what does it take to float a two and a half ton stone in the Nile? Talk about passion. Talk about passion. And it all has to do with creation. 
The author of all things has authority over all things, and God introduces you first and foremost as the king of the universe, sovereign over all. And God said, let there be light. And God saw that the light was, what does your Bible say? Good, that's a judgment. That's a judgment. I can judge whether something's good or bad. I can judge whether Mexican food is good, Chinese food is good. Oh, I don't like it. Uh, That's a judgment. Now, hold on to that because in Hebrew, there is no punctuation, there's no exclamation marks, there's no bold print. So if you want to emphasize something, you repeat it over and over and over and over again. Okay, now, got your Bibles? Hang on. Okay, verse one, verse th- uh, chapter one, verse three, um, and God said, and then verse four, it was good. One six, and God said. One nine, see it? God said. One ten, and it is good. One eleven, and God said. And verse twelve, it's good. Verse fourteen, and God said. And then in verse eighteen, it's good. Judgment. Verse 20, and God said, king. Verse 21, it is good, judge. Verse 24, God said. In verse 25, it's good, judge. In verse 26, God said. And verse 31, it's good. Tov ma'od. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. God said, King, it's good, judge. Now, are you still with me? Got your Bibles open? Okay. And God saw that all he, everything, verse 31, all that he had made, and it was tov ma'od, very good, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work work of creating that he had done. What's missing in that verse? What's missing in that verse is the punctuation. And it is good. In other words, is there an end to Sabbath with God? No. He wants Sabbath with us all the time. (laughs) Let's keep reading. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the, what does your Bible say? Lord God. That's different. Why is that there? Now, the word, and translators do this. Every translation I've seen, I've encountered, does this. When they come to the unspeakable name of God, our Jewish friends would say, yud heh vav heh, King James, Jehovah, now Yahweh, they would convey that to you with capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. Now this, this is the covenantal name of God. You can call me George, you can call me Pastor DeYoung, you can call me Mr. DeYoung, but one thing you cannot call me is you cannot call me dad. Because we don't have that relationship together. Only my two daughters, their husbands, and my three grandsons can call me dad. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is the covenantal name of God 
for those in covenant with him. Now, this Lord, this is the, this is, so you have God, and in, in in, in, it's the same deity, but in God you have king, judge. But here you have Lord. Now, the Lord component, and this is not just Jewish, this is Christian as well. The, the Lord component, that's the sympathetic side of God. That's the empathetic side of God. Um, let me put it to you this way. My wife's dad, uh, my father-in-law, now of blessed memory, was a family practice guy in Hudsonville, Dr. Peter Verkike. that's his name. Now, to a lot of people, they knew him as doctor. Some people knew him as Peter. He served as an elder in First Church in Hudsonville and, and people as friends, Peter, okay? But Beth knew him as dad. Same man, same God. But he reveals himself to us as king of the universe, judge, Lord. Now I've got to ask you the question, what do you think? Do you think word order matters? He doesn't introduce himself to us as God, Lord. He introduces himself to us as Lord God. How do you think he wants to be known? When the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, no shrub or no plant of the field had sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain. Verse 7, the Lord God formed the man. See, Genesis 2 is not some kind of distant king judge who speaks things into being. And that's a beautiful thing. Don't get me wrong. But Genesis 2, God gets his hands dirty. It's the Lord God. There's a much more closer relationship. There's a more intimacy there that's going on here. In fact, there are some who, who look, some scholars look at that and they say, these are two stories, and these two stories um, tell us that there are two authors, and then, and then we get into these higher criticism debates. We're not going to get into that here at all. We don't need to. I, to me, it's one author. To me, to me do, you know, do you know how your cell phones work? How your cell phones know where you are? There's a cell tower. It sends out a, a beam, right? And your phone picks up on that beam, and it shows you, it says you're somewhere along this beam, but it takes a second tower, okay? And that tower sends a beam, and when those beams cross, that's where your cell phone is. You need the two towers. These two stories tell us who we are, who we are. We have been made by the king of the universe, but we've been made by his hand. And it's interesting that when he made us, he didn't make us right away male and female. We were together. And, he, and, he, and, and, and there came a time when he took the female part and the male part. And it, it just it helps you understand. And, and Lord God, let's keep going. Uh, um, could we just stop it for a minute? Um, now the Lord God planted a garden. Oh, this is so cool. He planted a garden. Um, and put the man in it he had formed. Now the Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow on the ground that were a blessing to the eye, good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of the life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, and the Lord, I got to go down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, hey, you can eat of any tree you want uh, in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree, um, um, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, this, just, just pause here just for a second. So God planted a garden, and the text says God had all these trees from the ground, and the man could eat from any of the trees he wanted to. And then God planted a garden. 
What is that? Why? Why, why does he plant a garden? Have you ever planted a garden? Growing up in eastern Ontario on a dairy farm, I did a lot of gardening. Uh, and my, I remember my dad, you know, we'd, he would prepare our garden and then he'd put a post here and a, a rope over and then we, we'd go along and he'd say, okay, Schwartz, he was Dutch, eh, Schwartz. Uh, he would come and he'd put his finger up to the second knuckle and then he'd put one, two, three. And about a foot later, put your finger, second knuckle, one, two, three. We'd be planting corn. And we'd be talking about it. See, planting a, planting a garden means relationship. It takes time. This whole Genesis chapter 2 is taking time. He's, he's, he's planting the garden with the man. Relationship. Well, as he's planting the garden, God says, you know, it's not good for the man to be alone. Okay? And that's Genesis chapter 2. The fall happens in Genesis chapter 3. So there's something that's not good before the fall. It's not good that the man is alone. That's a really important word, alone. One of the first things you learn in life in the text is alone. Alone. It's not good. Well, then, you know how it goes. Um, He made a helper suitable. But I, what I want you to see, um, where is it now? Um, the Lord God commanded the man, you were, no, the Lord God took the, oh, here it is, verse 15. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, the Lord God took the man, verse 15, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and what's your Bible say? Take care. The, the Hebrew word there is shamar. Say Shamar. Shamar means, Shamar is Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. The Lord watches over you. That's the word Shamar. Shamar means to guard. To guard. Guard the garden. If I can put myself in the story, I want to say to God, Lord, guard it from what? Guard it from what? No, you guard the garden. This is the first time that that we read in the Bible that the man has to have faith in God based upon his relationship with God because he doesn't know anything about a snake. Wait till chapter three. Then you'll know exactly what we have to guard the garden from. The Lord God. The Lord God. The Lord God. This is, when I say capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord God. This is the Lord God of whom Moses spoke. Remember, he's on Sinai, and he wants to see God. God says, you can only see my back. And as God passes by him, as the Lord passes by him, uh, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, and abounding uh, in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Joel, the prophet, talks about the Lord God. He says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to capital L, capital O, capital capital R, capital D, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God is introducing himself to you, yes, as God, king of the universe, sovereign over all, yes, as God, the judge. But when he gets close, we get to know him as daddy, Lord God. Now, Stay with me, just a few more minutes. Sorry. 
Um, I'll make it shorter. I'm supposed to be back here next week. You, somebody's going to call me and say, no, that Sunday was enough. That's, it. That's good. Um, uh, okay. Um, so then we go to... Uh, uh, this is so cool. Okay. Verse chapter 3. Okay, all the way, all through chapter 2. Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the... That's it. Lord God had made. He said to the woman... What did the serpent say to the woman? Did God really say? God did not say. God didn't tell them that they couldn't eat from the tree. The Lord God told them that they couldn't eat from the tree. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. That is so huge. What does the serpent want them to think of God as? The serpent has no problem. The devil has no problem. If you look at God as king, if you look at God as judge, the devil doesn't want you to see God as Lord. Doesn't want you to see God as loving. That's the last thing he wants you to see. I'll never forget one of the trips I was on, early trips with Ray, and if you know Ray, you know he has a fire in his eyes sometimes. And, and I remember one time he says, you know, even James tells us even demons believe. What's the difference between demon believing and your believing and my believing? De- be demons believe God from here. You and I believe God from here. Now are you ready for it? Watch. Verse Eight. The man and his wife heard the sound of the, who do you think comes to find them? Does God come to look for them? Does the king and judge come and look for them? Who comes to look for them? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Psalm 19 begins, the heavens declare the glory of God. Later on, it'll talk about the the Torah, the law of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And at the end, David asks, oh, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, can I join in? Would you like to join in? Would you like to be part of God's kingdom work? Then the first thing that you and I have to do, and we have to learn, and this is uncompromising, we have to die on this hill. When we engage the world, And when we engage each other, we engage each other as God engaged our ancestors in the faith, in grace and in love. In grace and in love. I've been thinking a lot about that because I would tell my people at Holland Heights Church, I said, you know, without faith it's impossible to please God. But you know, the hardest time to have faith is when you have to have it. And I've been thinking about that with grace. The hardest time to be graceful is when you need to be. I'm telling you, Christ Memorial Church, I've worshiped with you several times. I've always been blessed by preaching the word, but that Christmas Eve, I had tears. Last Sunday, I had tears. Because you, congregation, you're not an audience, you're a congregation. You not only know, but you show 
the Lord God. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me, please. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, sovereign over all. We bless you and thank you, Lord, for this time. And Father, we just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be so saturated by your Holy Spirit that they would hear you, that they would see Jesus, and that they would be enlivened by your Spirit. Delight in our lives as we endeavor to live them more boldly and more bravely to your honor and to your glory. In your Son's name and all God's people said, amen. And amen.